Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we step into the new year, not just with New Year's resolutions, but with a renewed spirit of joy, collaboration, and endless possibilities. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Welcome to 2024. It's our first episode of the year. Forget the cliches about New Year's resolutions that fizzle out by February. And instead, let's talk about the new year in a different way. One that's less about flipping the calendar page and more about understanding the rhythm of time and our place in that time. But many of you know I'm a musician and rhythm is a very important part of music. You know, in a band, that's, that's how we all stay together and, and in sync. You know, without that, the greatest musicians would just be you know, uncoordinated noise, like a band of raccoons in a trash can symphony. And as a business leader, you have much more in common with musicians in a band than you might think. As the new year unfolds, think about yourself as a songwriter, maybe a composer. You know, each of us has a blank sheet of music in front of us. And the question isn't what resolutions we should scribble down quickly because we're supposed to have a plan, right? But it's really about what melodies and harmonies do we want to weave throughout the year. It's about setting an intention, a theme, if you will, that guides our decisions, our actions, and interactions. Now, over the holidays, my brother-in-law was talking about Duolingo. He's learning Spanish. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've tried it in a dozen other ways to learn several different languages. And learning a language takes time. It takes discipline. And lots of the ways out there are not very fun or engaging. You know, old school, a long time ago, you used to go sit in class. Yeah, anyone ever learn another language in high school? And can you still speak that today? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You go through and you may take, you know, one, two, three years of a language. And then, you know, a little while later, it's like, I have no idea what any of that stuff is. And when we aren't consistent, progress just evaporates. Duolingo has turned language learning into a daily habit for millions. They didn't just build an app. They created a daily practice habit, made it fun, gamified the process, and transformed language learning not into just a, like a New Year's resolution, but a sustainable part of people's lives. It's why it works. And success isn't about you know, hitting January goals. It's about integrating into the daily rhythms of users year-round. So it's taking those habits, if you've read uh, Atomic Habits, it's that habit stacking. It's taking something that you're already doing and building into that. So how can we do the same thing inside of our companies? We walk our SaaS companies through a process that's transformed my business and life starting uh, about 10 years ago. And since then, I've refined that process every single year. and We've continued to iterate on that. And here's the core of it. The beginning of the year, instead of resolutions, what we want to do is first, we want to set a theme, not just goals. Instead of a list of resolutions, ideas, goals, or maybe wishes, consider setting a theme for the year. Maybe it's growth. Maybe it's balance, innovation. One of our companies last year set a theme of fun. You know, we can't grind all the time, right? 
But does that mean that we just sit still or stagnate? And with the theme of fun, no, they grew 130% last year with a theme of fun. But whatever you choose, let the theme be your guide, influencing your choices and priorities, giving your actions depth and direction. And we use an agile methodology and work in very specific projects that move the needle in conjunction with your theme. And I think that's pretty awesome. Second, we want to embrace the power of rituals. Think about the small daily rituals that can lead to big changes over time. Kind of like Duolingo's daily lessons. You know, what small actions can you incorporate into your routine that align with your theme and build towards your vision? I talked about this in December. The mark of a champion is consistency. Sometimes one step seems so insignificant, boring, mundane, but string together a couple thousand and you've traveled a mile. Cash flow follows calendars, so schedule those consistent steps. Get them on there. Take those steps day after day after day. Be consistent. And third, we want to celebrate the continuum. The new year isn't a stark break from the past, but a continuation of, of what you're already doing. So we want to keep some things, we want to do some new things, and we want to get rid of some old things that didn't work. So reflect on the lessons from the previous year and consider how they inform your journey forward. You know, what do you want to keep? What do you want to get rid of? What do you want to add? This isn't about abrupt change. You know, I have a picture and I'll show it to you if you're watching the podcast. It's a trail that we hiked in Zion National Park and it's going up the side of a mountain, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And every step was, you know, just a step and whatever it is, 18, 20, 30 inches forward. You know, it's like, how far am I going? It's just a step. But consistency paid off. We made it to the top and, and well beyond. And I love the idea that this picture conveys of looking back at the trail and seeing all those switchbacks going up the mountain. We can see that progress. And I think it's important that we look at that. We look at the progress behind and the road ahead. And so it's like looking back, you're like, wow, we did that. And now you're looking ahead and saying, now let's go do this. So here's to a year of meaningful themes, daily rituals, and continuous evolution. Let's make 2024 not just another loop around the sun, but a deliberate, beautiful composition of our time, talents, and aspirations. Cheers to the new year. A year like no other, 2024. So what are some themes that you are thinking about or maybe kicking around this year for 2024? Let me know in the comments. I'd love to hear from you. If you could use a little encouragement on your SaaS journey from fellow B2B SaaS founders, check out Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. We are kicking off a new growth accelerator scale up this month, and I would love for you to be a part of it. I mean, you've navigated the startup storms and emerged victorious. Now it is time to elevate from success to significance. Our executive navigation program is the tailored B2B SaaS accelerator for companies aiming to move from at least a million AR to 10 to 20 and more. No fluff, just the hard hitting strategies you need at the right time. We focus on capital efficient growth, profitability that lasts, and achieving the kind of valuation that's not just impressive, but impactful. You'll gain access to a network of peers, growth plans, and the kind of operational excellence that frees you to focus on what really matters. Plus, enjoy the success that you've built. 
It's time to step beyond the daily grind to lead with vision and live in freedom. So if you're ready to not just lead your industry, but to redefine your market, visit championleadership.com. It's where leaders evolve and companies transform. And apply to join the next cohort. Now is the time to scale up. Championleadership.com. Our expert last week was LaShawn Smith, founder and investor at Kager Investments. He shares his journey from software titan at Amazon and Microsoft to a master of business innovation, deploying $450 million in R&D and shaping tech for industry heavyweights. We did a deep dive into his unique blend of AI expertise, growth tactics, and entrepreneurial wisdom. And then a week ago, right after Christmas, the team flipped the script, took over the podcast, and grilled me. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Ski goggles, reindeer antlers. You got to check out that YouTube video. And two decades of business building lessons, some screw-ups, and some tips along the way. These two episodes were a great way to cap off 2023. So if you missed either one of those... Go grab them, download them, Hey, maybe even on your drive home. My guest today is Alan Smith, VP of Venture Development at FutureSight Ventures. Over the last 12 years, Alan created and sold $130 million products and services, built teams to 100 people, and sold 3 million books. It's pretty cool. He and his team at Strategizer created one of the world's most popular business systems while having a ton of fun. Those things are not mutually exclusive. His journey made him a believer that the basics done wrong kill potential, and he's right on that. And done right unlocks success. Absolutely correct. Welcome our first guest of 2024, Alan Smith. Hey, Alan, welcome to SAS Fuel. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Tell me a little bit about your background as a founder through Strategizer and now your time at Future Site Ventures. So I come from a design and, and marketing background. I didn't go to business school, um, probably like a lot of SaaS founders here. I've also created a lot of SaaS products that didn't make it. So those are, you know, you hear about Strategizer <laughs> and like, you know, the work we're doing at FutureSight Ventures. But as far as creating products goes, I've, I've been interested in creating digital products since uh, my first company, which was actually an agency. And we were building digital products back then. And this was before... Like I didn't even know what SaaS was because I wasn't a I was a designer, right? Like I knew how to build product, sure. but I didn't know how to build a business that would support the product, essentially, right? Like I couldn't wrap a business engine around an idea to help the idea go out there and live on its own. And I was screwing that up for a few years, um, just eating all the profits from my agency, trying to create new stuff that I was excited about. And uh, after a while, I was like, I got to do something about this, and so. That was when I got connected uh, with what later became the team, you know, at Strategizer. Our first project was uh, the book Business Model Generation, where we were, that was my first chance to learn about business models and to spend some time really sinking into the content. I don't know if you've heard this, but if you really want to learn something, they say, teach a course, uh, write a book, or start a business. And I totally agree with that. It's yeah. like, you know, if anything you want to learn, that's, probably one of the best ways to do it. Although I would caveat, you can also add to, uh, you know, write a book, create a Twitter account or, you know, a pseudonym that only is like a subject matter expert in that, right? I guess I come from this sort of like design product background and then um, got into Strategizer. First, we started with IP, started with ideas. 
And then we created software, this workflow software to help people execute against those ideas. Um, we built an LMS. We didn't need to. Uh, so it's like, you know, <laughs> classic uh, engineer, designer, yeah. early SaaS founder mistake. We'll build it rather than, you know, just buy it. Had a great product coach. He told me not to do it. I did it anyway. Um, and, you know, so just sort of did all the working with the devs to get a leadership and, and what it means to help other people figure out how to do things uh, rather than figuring out how to do them on my own. That's fantastic. And, and I love that the, the journey, you know, agency and then, you know, books and training and, and software and then, you know, product services. So I mean, it's, it's yeah. really kind of gone full circle back to services, but this time more, you know, productizing the, the services, which I think is a brilliant concept. Yeah. And, you know, with strategizer, what we're really trying to do is to democratize strategy, make it easier for people to figure out some of these core fundamental questions. What's your business model? What's your value proposition? How do you know that you're right? Because those could be scary things. And if you get them wrong, or if you're talking about it, and there's like something that you assume is, is there between you and, and any of your collaborators, um, that can be a killer. Like these things have huge leverage, right? This is when you're walking and you, this is, you know, that whole, you know, one degree off at the beginning of a journey means you end up right. completely, you know, somewhere else, right? So these are massive leverage topics. And then you know, taking that through to future site, you know, what we're doing there with the, the, the fund is to take some of those ideas in a more applied setting as an institutional co-founder and create a platform for entrepreneurs to build, uh, hopefully impactful B2B SaaS businesses in way less time and for hopefully less money and a lot less pain uh, than, than I've seen in the past uh, on my own and, and with others. Uh, I love that you said, you know, somebody told you not to build uh, the LMS and you did it anyway. And, uh, you know, I've been down that same road. I mean, you ask a developer, should we buy, should we build? And 100% of the time, my experience is the answer is, oh, we should build it ourselves. Yeah, totally. Uh, but it, yeah. And there's a lot of good reasons, right? And you listen to the reasons and it all makes sense, you know, as a founder. Of course it does. Like, you know, yeah, actually, nobody's going to have the exact requirements that we want. No, of course they're not. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, once we get it up and running, you know, uh, it'll be cheaper. Uh, yeah, may, maybe, but uh, probably <laughs> not. And it's never actually going to get up and running, right? Like, you, right, the, right. The, the core concept here th to remember is any business that's doing this is amortizing the cost of that product across many customers. And if you're that's one right. customer, you're just dividing by one rather than dividing by a hundred. So how is it going to be as cheap? It's just never possible. And right. they're getting the learnings from all of those pieces of the market and probably only focused on that one thing rather than that one thing plus the other thing uh, that you're probably doing. So yeah, that was a hard yeah. lesson. Uh, but you know, sometimes you need to make these mistakes. That's a big one because it also, I think the biggest challenge is it takes away from the core product that you should be building, your core business. Instead of, you know, chasing all these side projects and the shiny objects. In my first business, there's, there's a great diagram for this. And it's imagine a circle with, you know, a, a kind of like inch long arrow in six directions or, you know, 15 directions, even better, right? <laughs> like, you know, chasing yeah. after a lot of shiny <laughs> objects. Uh, so you have yep. 15 little arrows and then you've got covered about this much space outside of the circle. Whereas if you said, okay, well, take that same circle yeah. and now you've got. 15 inch 
you know, uh, sort of line in one direction and you've made that much progress, right? That's what, that's what the difference is right. between trying to, you know, fight all the battles. And there's some, only so much gas in the tank. There's only so much energy. There's only so much time in the day. And you have to really choose your battles. And my first company, we made this mistake too, of trying to innovate on everything. Because you could look at, I think any creative entrepreneur could look at anything and say, I can do that better. Yeah. I know a better yep. way, right? Like I, there's, I've got an idea for that. And yeah, I can't accept this because and therefore I must. And the cost of saying yes to all of those battles is not really being able to win any of them and potentially failing the most important one, which is, you know, what is the core business? What's the main problem right. you're trying to solve for your customers, right? And if you, if you don't have enough energy behind that, how are you supposed to compete with somebody who just puts a little bit more towards that and fights a few less battles? Well, I mean, we definitely made those mistakes. What are some other mistakes that you made uh, in the early days? Well, like apart from the basic stuff, like everybody gets their timelines wrong, right? Like you assume yeah. that this could work and, you know, it, it work within X period of time. I think everybody, you know, at the beginning kind of experiments with waterfall of saying, hey, like we're going to come up with this big vision and then break it down into pieces and then build the first piece and then build the second piece and build the third piece, creating too big of a vision and then trying to build the whole thing. Um, that's a really, really common mistake I see with a lot of founders trying to solve two problems uh, or three mm, or four. Yeah. And so assuming that, oh, you know what? Here's what our customers need. They need this end-to-end -end solution. It's, yeah, maybe they do. And it's going to be really difficult for you to be able to build that entire thing from scratch. What's the one problem you can solve for them now um, without having to build this massive product to be able to, you know, get it off the ground and up and running? And, you know, I think that's another one. So logical extensions of a roadmap that have not been validated by a customer. And uh, you know, I had that, this, that one hurts a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, it, it hurts us all. Yeah. You look at the roadmap and you're like, okay, well, where's this going and what's next? And it's easy to come up with features to sort of like add on to. Let's say you, let's say you did the first thing right. You solved one problem and now you start thinking yeah. about, okay, now we can do this. Now we can do this. Now we can do this. Here's five features that make this better or could also. That can be so deceiving. Like we can look at that and think, perfect. And you can sit in a room with a bunch of super smart people, like the smartest people you know. And you could all say, yeah, this looks really good. And if nobody's, uh, you know, has the humility to say, have we checked this with the customer yet? Um, and yeah, maybe <laughs> these are all their problems, but are they their next most important problems? That can lead to really expensive development that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a big one. Oh man, other mistakes. Okay, so like, apart from <laughs> like, you know, the whole dev thing, right? Like you can hire the wrong devs uh, really easily yep. and uh, start adding more and more layers of complexity to your stack because developers want to have fun with more parts of the stack, right? Like, hey, there's this new uh, protocol or there's this you know new thing that we want to play with. It's the best. The old ones aren't going to be any good. Okay, makes sense. We should be working with that. And then you hear the same story right. in three months. You hear the same story in three months. You hear the same story another three months later. So adding way too much to the tech stack and making the tech stack complicated, not paying down technical debt and like managing technical debt. Obviously, that's huge. I've screwed that up. Dude, how long do you want me to keep going? <laughs> <This is> just, <laughs> you 
that's some of them. Let's, let's leave it there for now. Um, unless something <laughs> else jumps out at me. I'm like, even just thinking back and it's like a little bit painful, but, um, yeah. so one more I'll share is I think sure. sometimes promoting from within, uh, to a leadership position. So taking, you know, someone from the team who's a great team member, um, and the company's growing and they really want to do this thing. That's, you know, a couple of levels up from where they are, you know, that yeah. they're a known quantity. It's easier to hire somebody else who's kind of at their level than it is to go out and find that, you know, higher level that they're getting promoted to. Um, maybe you can save some money, you know, by promoting them rather than hiring someone yep. externally. And I would say like four times out of five, that hasn't worked out for me. That's another one I'd, I'd look out for. That's really hard, especially the, the the dollars. When you start looking at that, well, I can promote them and just give them a little bump. But if I go out, it's going to be, you know, 50% yeah. more to find that that next level of talent. And but then it, when you it think just, about it, the cost, it doesn't work. you get it wrong six months later, you know, this whole area is still broken. Um, you know, there's a great book by Randy Street and Jeff Smart uh, called Who? The A Method for Hiring. And uh, in it, they cover this idea that a bad hire is something like 11 times the cost of the hire, like the hard cost of whatever you spent. So wow, you know, it, and I believe it, it. It could be for multiple reasons, right? It could be the opportunity cost. Like the whole business can easily get slowed down if that person becomes a bottleneck and doesn't fulfill their goals, right? Um, and then you're a year out saying, wow, that was a big mistake. Well, it's easy to, to think about uh, mistakes, but it's not all mistakes because you, you've done well. I mean, you sold products, $130 million in the last 12 years. Um, that's pretty good. Three million books. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, proud know, of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what do the successes look like? You know, what are the, the key elements that, that led to that success? The times when we, we spent the time up front talking to a customer and making sure that they needed what we were making like that that product was high enough on their list um that it was going to get done that basically they were they were ready to buy on that day almost that we started talking to them about the problem those feel like the ones that ended up as a win like when the customer was like oh i don't have anyone else you know or like if you could do this you know i'm in today if i could sign a letter of intent with them uh, to buy if they would sign it, you know, that's a great, great signal. We use that, you know, now at Future Site. I think the other successes are the ones where you create something that in your heart, as you're building it, you start to get excited. So this is an yeah. and, right? This isn't an or. But like as you're building it, every time you come to a meeting and it's progressed a little bit, or every time you're sitting down, if you're like more of an individual contributor on it, you're getting stoked about this is going to be so good when it's done. Almost every time I've got that feeling, like while working on something, it's worked out. I love that feeling. And, you know, when the whole team is sort of like, you're grinding away at it and, and like excited about that vision and yeah. you can get everyone excited about that vision. And there's this moment of like, I think we could do this. This is going to be awesome. I like it's, it's just over the horizon. We've still got a long way to go. That's one of those like really great moments in work on its own. Like even if it didn't work out, this is like a good way to spend your time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, whether or not it results in something that people actually want to buy, but more often than not, it feels like it does. Um, and then the ones that had the right go to market, like go to market is is so much. And you know, without a line uh, to the customer who the product is supposed to help, um, you know, it might as well be locked in a bank vault somewhere. 
right? It doesn't do much, much good. So those are some of the things that I think jump out. And the other ones I would say is, you know, trusting people who are supposed to be doing their piece of of the puzzle Mm. as much as possible. Um, It's easy to, as a leader, to try to jump in and add too much value and to say, well, I think it should be like this, or I think it should be like that. Um, And accepting that it'll be different no matter what. And hopefully, if you hire the right person, it's going to be better. It would never be the same way you're going to make it. And if it's the right person, it's going to be better than the yes. way you would have made it. And that's hard to, to process as a leader is I'm going to let this go. I'm going to give it to somebody else and it's going to be better. And we're expecting them to just take it and make it our way. But, yeah. but they don't. They do it their way. And, and a lot of times it is better. And even if it's, you know, starts out at 80 or 90%, that's still a win. And then it grows from there and does get better. Yeah. What's the the quote? 80% uh, done by somebody else is 100% awesome, right? You know, that's right. That's else, uh, you know. Well, the entrepreneurial journey, I mean, with a lot of ups and downs for sure. And, you know, so how have you processed? I mean, because it feels different at different stages when things are really going. I mean, it feels great. When uh, you make a mistake and you realize it or, you know, you, you see a downward trend or something doesn't work and you don't feel so good. How have you managed that and how has mindset played a role in your success? One of the things that's been really helpful for me, just starting, you know, from a support perspective is having a forum group. And so I've been part of a, a forum for 10 years. Um, and a few people have come and gone. And a few people have been there with me for 10 years. And, you know, we meet once a month for four hours. And when I think about it, it's like I spent 400 hours, you know, with this group talking about this awesome. uh, and, you know, what's working and what's not. And I also have a record of my thoughts. And so when I go back and I look at that, mm. I see exactly what you're saying. You know, this month I'm scoring business, you know, nine out of 10. Two months ago, I'm scoring it, you know, three out of 10. You know, two months before that, I'm eight and a half out of 10. Right. And so they're <laughs> like, the ups right. and downs, it's it's almost ridiculous. Like I look back at the, like if you've written it down and you can follow it, the ups and downs, um, it's almost comical. It's like, like from like zooming out, if you just sort of zoom out from that and realize that, yeah, it's all peaks and valleys. And actually there's a great book on this called peaks and valleys. And part of the mindset there that I find really helpful is the things you do in the valleys are the things that get you back to the peaks, right? It's when uh, you're feeling three out of 10 and that everything's terrible. It's the decisions you make on that day, in that week, in that month that drive you back up uh, to you know, the peak. And conversely, and kind of like equally painful, is the decisions you make at the top of the peak that help uh, define the next trough. How deep is it going to be and how quickly can you get out of it? Yeah. How many resources did you sort of save um how careful were you about planning for contingencies versus just riding high you know on on the good days this idea of the peaks and valleys you know i think is really important anybody who doesn't have a meditation practice like that's a that's kind of like an easy no-brainer as far as which ones worked for me that's kind of more details than we're really looking for but i love the presence process and so i can't meditate all the time but i can do it for three months in a row every day and then i can take a break for three months and that seems to have worked for me in terms of helping to cultivate you know uh, a mindset of presence and that this is all okay it's not happening to me it's happening for me right um and 
the last thing I'll share on this that I think is so compelling. And actually, this was this was shared um, at an event that we were at recently. Every problem you face in entrepreneurship is facing um, something inside of yourself that needs work, right? Mm. And it's wow. an opportunity to level up yourself. And so by taking a moment to see each challenge as a gift and that, you know what, you might not get it this time, but you'll get it next time. Lessons are repeated until learned. And when I look back and I'm like, yeah, I made that same mistake, you know, four times before I stopped making that same mistake. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I, I wasn't ready to learn. Clearly, I just didn't get it. And so, you know, I need to be taught a few times. The lessons come back to you and accepting that every time you're freaking out about the world, you know, just not going your way. Remember that it is. It is exactly what you need in that moment. And that's not what we want to hear in that moment. But that's, you know, now it's right. easier. Right. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's easy. Sometimes those repeated mistakes, you know, it's somebody else's fault until I do it three or four times in a row and and then realize that the the one common denominator every time this bad thing happens is is sitting right here. You know, it's it, the problem's in the mirror. I was at a I, I did this retreat and we did a sweat lodge thing and at the end of it, um, you know, there was this elder there, the super wise elder, and I was asking him because at the time I was thinking about like, you know, the right environment makes a big difference. And like, if I just change my environment, like, you know, we react to change. Like, you know, if you put out your shoes, you know, the night before, you're more likely to go running. Or if you put you right. know, a bunch of bad food on your plate, you're likely to eat like a, you know, plate of bad food because it's on your plate. <laughs> That's a, right. You know, there's like, you keep chips in the house, chips are going to get eaten, you know, stuff like this. And so those are bad examples. I'm talking more, you know, from a almost like spiritual self-growth type setting. I was, uh, and, you know, larger life context. I was asking him, you know, should I be organizing my environment or changing my interior? And this elder sort of like crosses his arms and he sits back and he like leans back and he says, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, problems in the mirror. There's 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 another great phrase, which is if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. Which is taking that to its absolute extreme, right? Of yeah. Like you, you can only solve what you can solve. But to me, this stuff is new to my journey. Like I'm just start just starting to put together some of these pieces now. And you know, earlier on in my journey, none of this stuff made any sense. It was all tactical, right? And then maybe if I could have a moment to just get my head above water, I could start to find a little bit of strategy, you know, here and there. It's, it's hard and it takes time and the, the lessons come slowly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they do. So that, that's really, really good just to, to think about it that way and, uh, and, and process. And, you know, if, if, if we're not the problem, then, you know, or there is no problem that there is no solution. And so really figuring out, you know, what is that that I can change as that's, that's really the one thing that we control. Is, is ourselves and, and our attitude and our mindset. I mean, we can change that. There's a lot of external factors that, that we really have very little control over. And to, to build on that, uh, of what we can control, you can't always change everything and you can't change everything about a business very quickly. So there's a lot of things that you know cannot be changed and a yeah. lot of things, sorry, that cannot be changed quickly. There's this idea that if you can't change the experience, you can change your quality of the experience, how you're experiencing something. Mm. And so how are you letting something make you feel? 
there's no frustrating people. There's only you getting frustrated. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And I think really putting yourself at the center of this is both personal accountability is probably like one of the biggest ideas. And I think we all have it at some level and we find it. A, a lot of it gets covered up. And for me, for many years, it was covered up. It was somebody else's problem or I was waiting on somebody else to solve it or right. it was it was the world and it wasn't, you know, it was like kind of like victim mindset, right? You know, um, I don't want to blame victims uh, there because there's lots of true victimization. And there's this idea that we can take that on when we don't need to. And there's an alternative in many situations as far as a mindset goes. Yeah, it's, it's hard to put a bow on that one. There's, there's a lot yeah. there, uh, you know, to kind of unpack. Well, it's a lot easier to work on the environment because it's, it's out there and we can, it's like rearranging deck chairs on Titanic, you know, <laughs> but when you're working on the environment instead of actually working on the root problem of, uh, this is something we got to fix or, or we're going down. Yeah. Um, symptoms, uh, not yeah. causes, right. It's like, it's so easy to chase symptoms and chase symptoms and chase symptoms. And where are the causes and in, in anything like, you know, what's the, what's the cause of the problem that we're solving today? And actually, you know, kind of two sneaky meeting questions, um, you know, if we want to just dive back down to the tactical level after getting, you know, fairly <laughs> philosophical there for a minute, Jeff, sure. uh, is I find so often people lose track of the problem they're trying to solve and just asking in a meeting, what problem are we solving here? And yeah. reminding people, you know, what problem are we solving here? And then, you know, before people get way too far with trying to solve the problem, ask, what is the cause of this problem? And why is that happening, right? And that can help people, especially a team. You know, if, if I'm assuming, you know, most of the listeners from, uh, you know, what I know of, uh, of the listeners of SaaS Fuel are leading teams. And this is one of the, if people aren't working on the right thing, what are they working on, right? Like, you got to be yeah. working on the right thing. The next right thing, you know, as we know, is, is so powerful. Yeah. And getting them focused on the next right thing. It can be as easy as pulling them away from you're working on this symptom to this problem uh, to you're working on this root cause to that problem and the other five ones you were going to have to solve otherwise, right? Well, in addition to, to work, you're not all, all work. You're fun as well. And so, you know, there's always an element of freedom and fun in what you do. How, do you, how does that fit into work? And is it something that you have to wait until, you know, you exit and sell and, you know, somewhere later? Or is it something you do along the way? Do you build that into your journey? The obvious answer here is, you know, every day, <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, yeah. you asked about the exit, right? A friend of mine, he had a really interesting situation where um, he was exiting his business. He had to sell. He was on track. Everything was going great. And then the deal fell apart. And by the time the deal fell apart, he was cooked he had no energy left he had to go to the investors and say i have to walk away you know we'll hire a new ceo but you know like i'm, I'm kind of out he stepped back uh to support his mental health and he's a huge proponent of mental health for entrepreneurs now uh, as well uh, but essentially he had the experience of not achieving the exit that he'd been working for for seven years you know on the business mm. then out of the blue luckily enough um Another strategic came along, kind of picked up the deal on most of the work that had already been done. And, you know, six weeks later, uh, it was sold. 
And he had the experience of both. And he said to me, everything you're ever going to get from this business, you get on the days that you're doing the work, right? Yeah. You, you don't get it at the end. There's no finish line that's that exciting um, because that stuff doesn't matter. And you know what? When it's somebody with a, you know, um, eight-figure uh, checking account telling you that, that's different than when it's somebody who actually had the experience of both. He had both experiences. And yeah. he made up his mind that he, he sort of took in that learning after, you know, first not getting the sale and then getting the sale. And so to me, that says that every day should be a day where, you know, celebrate the win, which is getting to do the work you want to do. And if like Steve Jobs said, you know, if you wake up in the mirror too many days in a row and this isn't something you want to do, go do something else. It's okay. Right. Like yeah. this is, this is a big part of it. And when you're doing the right work, um, with the right people, I feel like the fun just starts to be there. Like it's just naturally there. You just get excited about what you're working on and you know, you don't have to take yourself so seriously at the end of the day, we're all building sandcastles, man. Like this stuff doesn't last, yeah. you know? Um, one of the reasons why I love out of all the different types of products, you know, I, I've built and sold books are so compelling because they last longer than anything else. So many digital products I've made that don't seem that old. There's like barely a trace of them. They're like a whisper in the wind, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, those books, they're going to be there till the end of time. Like, it's just like they're printed. They can sit on the shelf. Um, they are reprinted, you know, consistently. You put something on Amazon KDP, it's going to be there forever. And it won't be there forever. There's all of this stuff, like, you know, no matter what we're doing, we can't take ourselves too seriously. Um, right. It, because at the end of the day, you don't take it with you and none of it lasts that long anyway. I think that's really good advice. That's my experience as well. It's those mountaintop, you know, the peak experiences, they they come and go. And and those peaks, they they don't last that long. It's like, you know, yay, an exit. And then, you know, a week later, a month later, two months, a year. It's like, well, big deal. But yeah. the thing that does last is it's those people that are with you on the journey. It's the the relationships that you build. And those things are so much more valuable. Than, than getting a, a one-time check because you did something cool once. Totally. You know, it's, I just got a, a message today from an old, a couple of old team members of mine. Uh, and they're all meeting up together in Thailand right now. And Very just seeing cool. like the three of them in a picture, none of them work at the same companies, uh, you know, anymore. And uh, including myself, like none of us work together anymore. And just seeing them together, I was like, that's awesome. Right. Like, you know, there's something so great about that. Yeah. And you, you know what I don't like about this, Jeff, is it seems so obvious and it also seems boring. Like it's uninteresting. Like there's no framework <laughs> right. for this. It's not like there's, there's nothing to teach, you know, here. It's so simple. And these simple lessons, I struggle with them sometimes because they're too simple. Right. Like something that's too simple can't seem true. Like right, we, right. we crave complexity. We crave making things more complicated than they need to be because it seems like, well, that's, you know, how, how great stuff must have it. For some reason, we have this mental construct that it's got to be complicated yeah. or it's got to be hard. And that, you know, this whole thing is a glass eating competition where, you know, we have to like, you know, <laughs> grind it out every day. Um, or, you know, we need to put together these super elaborate, you know, solutions to stuff or look for these, you know, 
the solution to my happiness is a 10 year build uh, of a company so that I can sell it and then be happy. It's like, well, right. There's probably a better way. And it's probably simpler than the 10 years worth of, (laughs) you know, activities that you had lined up to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. When would now be a good time to be happy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When, (laughs) when would now, right? Yeah. There's, on that topic, we're, since we're we're just very philosophical today, uh, Jeff, is when has anything ever happened to you in the future or the past? Never, right? It's, it right. only happens right. now. All we have is now. The future is a made-up construct in our minds of you know something that we think uh, is maybe going to happen or maybe not, or we're entertaining you know, for a moment. And the past is the same it's a rehashing of something that did happen you know at one point in time right um right and therefore nothing actually happened to us in the past it only happened in the moment of now which you either missed because you were worried about the past and like holding on to some sort of regrets or um you thinking way too much about the future and that you know moment way far off or that problem from tomorrow and bringing tomorrow's problem into today at the expense of being able to actually live the moment, be present and give yeah. the best that you could give, right? Um, yeah. All great performance comes from focus. This is this is more of an American thing. And like, you know, I'm Canadian, right? So, but like, who's that football team? They're really famous. You know, the story of like that f- the high school football team that they never lost a game for years or something. And the coach, the way he coached them was really specific. All we focus on is this play. We don't worry about the second half. We don't worry about the next quarter. We don't worry about the next play. All we worry about is this one. That's what we're completely focused on. And they brought down their amount of focus and presence to such a small space that the amount of energy that they were put into that space was unmatchable. And therefore, they built up this incredible like track record, right? There's something like there's a powerful message, you know, in there yes. for, for all of us. And it's a simple one too. Yeah, I like that. Wherever you are, you know, be there. Yeah. You know, be in the moment. You know, be focused on, on what's going on. And That's again, really you know, like such a such a trite and almost like patronizing message that has so much truth. Um, yeah. Because it's so simple. It, it's it's it feels patronizing, right? It can't be that simple. It's gotta be harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's bring it back up to to wrap things up. Tell me about what you're doing today at Future Side Ventures. Starting a company is really hard, right? Like starting a SaaS is really tough. We're trying to take luck out of the equation. And that's a big part of what I was doing, you know, at Strategize from what we're doing with the team is trying to make tools to make the whole process of going through a business a little bit more repeatable or sorry, starting you know, a business or finding a new opportunity or at least starting a new product, even finding a way to make that less risky and make it uh, more repeatable. And that, you know, the lean startup, Eric Reese, uh, Steve yeah. Blank, all of this stuff was done for a reason, which was how do we reduce the chances of failure? Because the chances of failure are so high uh, yeah. in this game. And so there's a whole ecosystem that I didn't really know a lot about previously. Um, but coming to it, the venture studio model is a little bit different than the accelerator or the incubator um, or a tech transfer, all these other sort of you know models for early stage. The venture studio model is has this really interesting concept of almost like getting a co-founder who yeah. is not just a good developer 
they're or not just a good marketer or not just a good um, pick one of the many skills you're going to need with you along the journey and especially in the early stages, let's say, you know, um, first 18 months, two years. The idea of being able to have a technical or, or like a co-founder who's an institutional co-founder where you kind of like co-found with a bunch of people who actually just know how to do the early stages of a business really well and run that playbook constantly in the same way, you know, you hire a leadership team to grow a company uh, and, and sort of extend your reach. The future site team or a venture studio team does the same thing at the early stages where they've got the list of skills required to maximize chances of success at that point in time. And so that looks like a couple of things. It looks like a stable of ideas for when one doesn't work out. You know, what else could we potentially do in this space? Um, there's a focus on, um, you know, some sort of a thesis that if you buy into that thesis, that's cool. I think that those ideas are more likely to win. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the whole venture studio bet is really this. Take a thought experiment. You've got 100 founders in a room all getting ready to do their next thing. Half of them, you give them, you know, a bunch of money, let's say uh, a million bucks, right? And then you say, good luck, come back to me when you've turned it into 10. And then the other group, uh, you give them 500,000 bucks and you give them this team. Uh, and the team has the playbook and the team keeps the entrepreneur on track and sort of channels their genius. And if you are an investor, out of these 50 and these 50, which are more likely you know, to succeed? The venture studio bet is it's the group with less money and more support because yep. the money's been spent in the right place to some extent right. already. And that they've got an external, uh, you know, sort of from day one, an external piece of accountability uh, to keep them on track and a sparring partner. Um, that's the whole idea. And so, you know, at, at FutureSight, we're building B2B SaaS businesses. We aim at the bid market. That's what we're capitalized for. It's tough to build B2C. You need a little bit more money um, than what we spend. It can be challenging to go to the enterprise uh, in early stages. You need a little bit more money uh, than what we have or what we invest, like, you know, our price point in terms of the type of businesses that we build and the timeline. You know, we just try to compress the timeline as much as possible. So it's the venture studio, man. And, you know, it's awesome to run this team and to be executing on a lot of the ideas that we were working on at arm's length with Strategizer, both teaching the IP, running a coaching program, um, having in internal, uh, like building internal incubators at Fortune 100s and managing billion dollar innovation funds. Super proud of all that work and being able to have this institutional co-founding team with really inspired values driven entrepreneurs is super exciting. So, yeah, that's what we're doing now and it's uh it's 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 been a ride so far. Yeah, I love the model and just positioning, you know, meet your co-founding team and just that that concept is is so refreshing. It's it's way different than what you see in in most other companies. Uh you know, even yeah. you know, Venture Studios I think relatively new concept. And I think that is absolutely brilliant what you're doing there and the, your focus on vertical SaaS. Vertical is also easier for a lot of reasons. I shouldn't say it's easier. Um, there's things you can do when you go vertical that simplify things. And, you know, just to give you an example, 
even with Strategizer, we we're making like very horizontal business tools, like anybody, like it didn't matter if you run a flower shop or a consultancy or a, you know, multinational auto manufacturer or a wind farm, or it doesn't matter. You just keep going, right? Um, yeah. All of those tools were designed to work in any one of those contexts, which is really tough to do. And you have to think about all of those different customers and all of their different problems. And does this work in all those contexts? You have to leave stuff out that don't work for some to be able to make it work for everyone. Right. In the vertical model, basically, you're, 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 listen, you've got a very small group of people, right? And that very small group of people who can really listen to their problems you understand where they are, you understand their context really clearly, and you can build the best possible solution for them. Not something that yeah. needs to work with a lot of people. And that's what I think is beautiful about the, the vertical model of being able to go deep and really um, have a strong impact on a small, a smaller uh, group of people still trying to build $100 million businesses. That's, you know, the sure. cutoff. Like that's where we're aiming. Um, but there's something different about the super, uh, like the hyper verticalized model, which again, this is the last thing I'll share is like, it feels, or, or on this, niching down feels like trite advice again. Like this feels to me like one of those things where everybody just says it, like niche down, niche down, niche down. And, you know, as strategizer, I always said why, right? Like I don't want to. I, I would rather right, we, right. you know, Build something for more people to solve, like help more people, right? You know, yeah. but more people need help. Like, you know, but I want more units of impact per, um, you know, of effort that I put in. Uh, so, no, we're not going to niche down. It was only once we started to niche down that we really started to find more success. Um, and so it's one of those lessons that I feel like at some point you just need to make the mistake. And if you're still making that mistake of, of, of going super horizontal and it's not working out or assuming that something's for everybody or assuming that it's for five different people when really it's mostly for one of them and being afraid to say no to the other four um, and just sell to the one, it's courageous. And it, it feels like it goes against something in most entrepreneurs and most even sales and marketing people, but that message on its own of just just niche down. And so we build really vertical SaaS. That's, it, it's a big part of what we do. Yeah. I think it's a, a smart business. Thank you, sir. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting yeah. one. Yeah. Very focused. Well, where can people learn more about you and about future site ventures online? Yeah. Come find us at futuresite.ventures. Um, we got a blog there that we write about sometimes. We got a bit of a social media presence that's growing up a little bit. It's a young, young business, but, uh, we're, we're off to a really fun start. There's a you know wonderful team there that has a lot of uh, a lot of heart and integrity, and that's what's that's that's what I love about this. Back to your point of you know a big part of this is about the people. Who do you work with? And we want to work with values driven people, which is why we chose to work with you know values driven people in our you know inner circle. And then once we add the founders and yeah, futuresite.ventures, check us out there. My name is uh, Fink Smith on most of the social media channels. Um, although I don't post a ton, usually, you know, I like to share like this and, uh, I like to share, you know, through my one-on-one -on -one work and work with the teams. So, so that's, this is, this is the main place that you can find me. Very good. And we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. So, Alan, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for being on SAS Fuel.
Hey, I hope it wasn't way too uh, existential and advicey uh, for for your listeners. Uh, it was fun to talk about this stuff and to get there. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. See you, Jeff. Thanks again, Alan, for coming on the show and sharing your journey, foresight, and resources, or maybe I should say future sight. You know, I really love the model that FutureSight Ventures has because it's not just dumb money. And dumb money is not what you want. You can find that anywhere, but definitely not what you want. You can learn more about Alan at FutureSight.Ventures and be sure and check him out on social as well. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at SASFuel.com. And of course, check out our YouTube channel as well. Full episodes, shorts, outtakes, training, and quite a bit more for you awesome SaaS founders. Please do take a minute and help out a fellow SaaS founder and share the podcast. They will see you as even more of a thought leader when you do. And everyone who shares this week gets a regrettable resolutions recycler. Made a vow to jog every morning, but hit snooze instead. Just feed it into the recycler and get a more manageable, slightly less ambitious resolution in return. Or just skip that whole thing and let's create awesome results together. Be sure and check out our new accelerator cohort, championleadership.com. Join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, where my guest is Ollie Wood, founder of The Body Reset. Ollie will give us the straight scoop on fitness and teach us how to run our bodies like a business. It is great, great stuff. Ollie's a cool dude, too. And then next Tuesday, we have Andrea Walls, co-founder of Courage Crafters and best-selling author of Go For No revolutionizes rejection and sales and business, teaching a counterintuitive strategy. And she'll bring that to us next Thursday. Andrea will show us how to transform a no from a setback to a pathway to success. Pretty cool stuff. Unlock next level sales in your SaaS right here in 2024. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!